If you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth with me. We'll cover in Ruth uh, for the next couple weeks. Be closing out with that. And we're in Ruth chapter 2. But we're going to need to bookmark that because uh, there's some other scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. We'll go and turn over to Ruth chapter 2. We'll be touching a little bit on uh, chapter 1 also. Wait for everybody to come in and sit down. We're in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth is a, a pretty interesting book. I never really looked deeply into it, so I very much enjoyed this research, this study. All right. So Ruth chapter 2. Um, interesting uh, thing about Ruth is that it's it's a unique Bible uh, book in the Bible, um, and its its location is refreshing too. We just got through with Judges, we just saw how Israel was in a steady decline in various uh, various ways. Uh, it's it's uh, following God, it's um, morals, uh, and we see some some encouraging parts in Judges, but then also some some discouraging aspects into it. And then we come to Ruth, who is during this time of Judges, and we, hit, we see a glimmer of hope uh, after, again, that, that, that decline in, in, uh, in Israel. Uh, it's char- chapter 1 of Ruth, as you saw last week, starts out, it's, it's a little rough, it starts out with sorrow and mourning. Um, but because of love, Selfishness, hard work, loyalty, giving to each other, and blessings from God. It changes throughout the book of Ruth to uh, a joyous story that is actually pretty motivational. It should be motivational for us all. Because, this, again, this is going on at that, those low points in Israel's history. And uh, there's nothing but encouragement. It kind of builds you up after Judges. <clears throat> it's uh, and it's the type of story that we all typically enjoy. You know, it has that happy ending that again leaves us with that feeling of hope. It was interesting what uh, Caleb was saying last week about uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin was who he said how he he put it that similar story to Ruth and and uh, you know the the people were going crazy about it and saying this is the best story uh, and he just said hey you just need to read your Bible. You'll see the full story about it. Um, that's pretty interesting because it is. It has very good aspects to storytelling, uh, even though this is an actual account of an event, obviously. We also get to see through Ruth how um, God is involved in our everyday lives. Now, God's not directly mentioned in um, that we see. We see, of course, they, they re- reference God, and, and they, they obviously... Um, are followers of God, but you don't. It, it's not mentioned specifically how He's working in their everyday lives. Um, but just like this story, when you go through it, you can see God working in their lives. Uh, we can do that with our own lives. 
Hopefully you, we've all done that. I know I have been able to look uh, at my uh, past and see where God has, um, you know, been a part of where I am today. And hopefully we all do that and we see God's, God's fingerprints on our history uh, to make us the people who we are. Um, it's very, uh, the writer, I know Caleb talked a little bit about the, the purpose and the writing of it. Uh, it's very smart, uh, a smart thing for the writer to recount to its people, to the people of the time, you know, during the time of the kings. Uh, because uh, it was similar to the story of Israel. Again, uh, Israel was broken and empty, but then under uh, King David and Solomon, under God, under God's guidance, thrived and uh, will continue to thrive if the people exhibit the characteristics of the people in this story. So before we get to reading, uh, again, we're in Ruth chapter 2 for those who are coming in. So if you turn over to Ruth. Before we get to, to chapter 2, there's a couple of, of things that we need to look at about the culture of the time. Because when you're reading through this, there's differences in our culture, obviously, and their culture. So um, most of it has to do with the Mosaic laws, and obviously they're a big part of the story. So we're going to cover some of those laws. So we have some background into the purpose of why these things are happening. Uh, one one thing is the laws of sowing and reap, reaping, uh, and that's what we see take place in chapter two. So before we get into chapter two, we're going to look at those laws, and obviously these are uh, mosaic laws. So the people this time are following these laws. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus, and we're going to be looking at chapter twenty-three. And if you're taking notes, you can notate that this is also mentioned in Leviticus 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 9, here in 23, verse 22, and also in Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 through 22. So in Leviticus chapter uh, 23, verse 22, it says, When you reap the harvests, of your land. Moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So, uh, again, the law of sowing and reaping, it covers it, and it tells the reasoning for that. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a reminder of the landowner's to only pass through when they're when they're collecting when they're reaping of the fields, um, when they're harvesting their fields, they're only to do one passover of that land. So anything that's left behind, they're not to go and do a second um, passover for it to to collect it, and they're to leave the corners. And uh, those that's made for people that can follow behind them to collect. And most of those people were uh, widows. And orphans and uh, aliens, the sojourners through the land, uh, and those uh, who are destitute, those who are poor. So it's all about giving. Um, 
Again, throughout the Bible, we see how important our relationship with other people is. God cares about that very much so. Um, And that's what most of his laws are about, is how to treat each other with compassion, with respect, with love. And so that's what this is about. And from my understanding with this reaping, the generous landowners would um, leave larger cuts of corners, because it doesn't say how much to glean. Um, They would leave uh, large cuts of corners of their land so that there would be more food available to the people who needed it. Uh, And same with the gleaning. They would not collect as much and leave more behind so that those who need it could have it. Uh, So you can see the landowner's um, their desire to to help others out. You can see that in, in what how they treated their land. And as a farmer, I'm not a farmer, by the way, um, but you would think that the more you left behind, you know, by following God's law, the more would be provided for those that weren't that, that wasn't collected. Those people that didn't collect all the stuff, there would still be more seed on the ground, more materials to compost, and it would enrich the soil, and more would be provided to the land. So by following God's law, not only did you help others out, but it also helped your crops out more farther. So uh, interesting things to think about how God um, tells us that if we follow, follow him, follow his example, follow his law, that it helps so many others out. So that was the, the law of the sowing, the reaping. And then we also have uh, another law, a law of redemption of the land. So still in Leviticus, hopefully still in Leviticus. We're going to look in chapter 25. Leviticus 25 is going to be uh, verse 23 through 28. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Thus, every piece of your property you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he has to sell part of his property, then the nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Or in a case a man has no kinsman, but so recovers his means as to find sufficient for its redemption, then he shall calculate the years since its sale and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and so return to his property. But if he has not found sufficient means to get back for himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. But at the uh, Jubilee it shall revert that he may return to his property. Really interesting um, laws here. God uh, obviously gave us, gave the Jews all these laws, uh, again, for fairness. So that way, um, you know, again, no interest being able to get the property back. Um, He wants us to treat each other fairly. He doesn't want us to take advantage of each other's um, uh, pitfalls. He wants us to take care of each other. And 
to, to watch out for each other. And hopefully we're doing that uh, in our daily lives today because we see that through the New Testament that we're supposed to still keep up those attributes. So the, land of, uh, the law of redemption of the land. Uh, again, God gave this land to these people. He promised them this land. And through that promise, he gives them away even at their lowest when they, when they have to sell it, uh, a way to get it back. And so that also comes into play in Jude. <clears throat> so, again, we have that basic right to purchase the land by or for the original family so that they can get, come back to it. Uh, the, so, with that law, there were three things to take note of. It is that the male Hebrew can redeem the land and determine its uh, cost according to a pres- this prescribed formula that we just read. Or the nearest male relative, which they call kinsman, could redeem the land. Or the Hebrew could wait till the year of Jubilee when the ownership rights are reserved. And that's every seven years was the year of Jubilee, if I remember correctly. Uh, now we have one more law we need to cover before we get into this chapter. And um, that's the law of, and I might butcher this a little bit, Levirate. 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 Um, and that's if, uh, under, only under certain circumstances, uh, if a brother-in-law's marriage, I wrote this kind of weird, excuse me here. Okay, so it allows a brother-in-law to be married uh, to a widowed or divorced sister-in-law. It's allowed for that reason. And again, that's pretty pretty rare circumstances, but again, that comes into play in here. And the fulfillment of this law was initiated by um, the widowed sister-in-law. So essentially, a uh, female's husband dies, and she can request the brother-in-law to, to marry, uh, you know, show intent that she would be uh, interested in marriage. And the purpose of that was so that the deceased family's property and uh, she'll be taken care of by the family and, if need to, continue to have heirs for the deceased man's family. So lineages was, was very important during uh, this time throughout the Jewish history which is why they kept, which was important. And we'll see that at the end of this book, um, why, and we see that in the beginning of the New Testament, why lineage through that this time was important, and that's to show that God's prophecies were fulfilled. So, uh, let's flip over to Ruth. Now that we have that background and that um, basic understanding of uh some of the mosaic laws that are going to be coming to play here. Um, but for before Ruth, I, I want to touch base on uh, Ruth chapter 1. As soon as it starts out, we're reminded of the environment of the time, that it was in the days the, um, the judges ruled. So this is during the time of judges, like what we talked about. And remember how we go through judges, and it said at least three times, or four times, excuse me, that in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, and we, we again we saw how divided the Israelites were, and not united. They weren't um, they weren't collaborating much with each other. Uh, 
as often as they should to do what God had um, asked them to do, told them to do, the covenant they had taken upon uh, themselves with God. And so that the, the timeline is about 1390 to 1090 B.C. was the time of the judges. And then we see Ruth, uh, who is a Moabite. So obviously we have Naomi, who is her mother-in-law. And they lived. So again, they left um, Bethlehem, that area, because of a, a famine. And they sojourned to the area of Moab. Which is, when you have Israel... It's down to the lower right. And there's a lot of history with Moab that uh, also might come into play here. And in Genesis uh, 20, 35, let's go flip over there real fast just so we can get some history about Moab. Chapter 20, verse 35. You know what? I think I wrote that down wrong. 20 verse 35. I did. It's actually 20. It's 19. Chapter 19 verse 35. After the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's two daughters, if you remember, got them drunk because they thought that, uh, I, I'm assuming they thought that the whole world was wiped out and that they needed to start to repopulate the, work, the earth. They got them drunk. They slept with him. Um, the firstborn daughter of Lot bore a son, Moab. And he became the father of the Moabites. And the youngest daughter bore a son, uh, Benami, or Benamon, who was the father of the sons of Ammon. And those two people, if we actually flip over to Deuteronomy, and sorry, hopefully you were looking at that, and that's what it was talking about, um, 35 through 38, you'll see that accounted there. I don't think we need to go read it because it's pretty straight up. Flip over to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. We see that as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they were given some instruction reference to the Moabites. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. He says, Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given our to the sons of Lot as a possession. So God actually provided the land that they were, that the Moabites and the Ammonites were, uh, were in. So he made a, obviously, he's holding his, his, uh, his word to the sons of Lot. And also in uh, verse 18 and 19, he also gives them a heads up in the same chapter. Today you shall cross over Ar, the border of Moab. When you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not harass them nor provoke them, for I will not give you any of the land to the sons of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot as a possession." So again, God told Moses that day that they were going to be entering Moabite, not to fight, harass the sons of Lot, the Moabites or the Ammonites. And they, can't, they couldn't possess any of that land and just to pass through it. So Ruth was a Moabite. So having that history, there was actually a lot of contention between Israel and Moab later on. But 
Um, again, Ruth is an interesting story because it focuses on somebody who's not an Israelite. And it shows very admirable qual- qualities of that person. And she essentially becomes an Israelite um, because of those qualities, because of her love for uh, her family. And, and it, obviously, following God, her love for God, that ends up uh, manifesting itself. And not only that, but it's a female. Um, very few stories. Well, we've read, of, we've read about even plenty in Judges, but uh, whole books are kind of focal pointed around uh, a female, so that's interesting too. But again, she's initially not one of God's people, but he ref- she reflected his love. Her loyalty and devotion to her mother-in-law of 10 years. So again, they were 10 years in Moab before uh, Naomi's husband died and uh, Ruth's husband died and Orpah's husband died. So Naomi's two sons died. They were 10 years together. That shows uh, that, first of all, Naomi's character, because uh, mother-in-laws, uh, in-laws at all, uh, can be either good or bad. Um, very very few times are they in between. I'm pretty fortunate to have uh, some good in-laws that I get along with pretty well. And obviously they did too, uh, because I know there's some people that would think about living 10 years with their in-laws and then following them to their home country homelands and that wouldn't uh, that would not be beneficial for that relationship um, so Naomi had good character and treated her daughter-in-law as well and Ruth saw that and uh, and wanted to be with her which we saw in chapter one all right and Ruth's character um, Mark her, again, we talked about it, it marked her as a daughter of Israel. And, spoiler alert for those who haven't looked ahead, it uh, made her worthy of being a part of the line of David. And in doing so, being a part of the line of the Messiah. And she's mentioned in Matthew um, as being a part of that line, which is pretty, again, pretty impressive. And it's a good study. If you ever need a study to do, it's just going through uh, the line, the lineage of Jesus and studying each one of the people in his in his uh, genealogy and there are some interesting stories throughout all of that <clears throat> so um, we already covered chapter one and the basics of that something to take note out of chapter one During that famine, they must have sold their land and moved away. Ten years. That's a pretty long time, for first of all, for a famine. But uh, it would have to be a pretty bad famine for people to pick up from their home and leave it to a foreign land for ten years. But Naomi obviously decided to go back home. They saw that there was food that was plentiful back home. And, of course, her husband died and her sons died. And knowing, Naomi knowing it would be hard for a foreigner to be welcomed with the Israelites, because of course they were the chosen people, and they, they, looked, uh, they looked down on other people because they considered themselves higher than others. Um, she knew that, and so she released them. 
You don't have to be with me. Go back home to your people. Uh, but Naomi, um, obviously she was in the despair this time, and she changed her name to Bitter, to Mara, which means bitter. Which I, I, uh, I don't know about you guys, but it confuses me through the Bible when people keep on changing their names. Um, we don't do that very often in our culture. So uh, something to always keep track of and uh, try to keep, it's hard to keep track of people, but something to take note of that she did change her name. This is an interesting point in their culture. And so we get to chapter 2. Obviously, Naomi, having that respect, or sorry, Ruth having that respect for her mother-in-law, stayed with her. She wanted to be with her. Um, I don't know what her home life was. It doesn't say. But, uh, again, those qualities of loyalty, she, de- she determined, even though it's going to be hard for her as a foreigner to go to that land, possibly never marrying again, never meeting anybody, not having any children, um, she still just, just, just so decided to go with Naomi. So in ch- chapter 2, we're going to pick up. If you can uh, turn over that. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Imelech, whose name was Boaz. So again, we see that kinsman, uh, that closest, almost closest relative, We'll read about one more that's just a little bit closer later on. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she's wanting to work. She's wanting to provide for her mother-in-law. You'll see uh, here in a minute that Ruth was a hard worker. Um... Again, those admirable qualities will stand out to you as we wrote through, through this. Uh, and God wants us to be workers, workers for him, and even in our daily jobs, to work hard. So something to uh, remember. Verse 3, So she departed and went gleaning in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a, a portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Imelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. So we see the introduction of Boaz here. And the first thing that we see about him is that he also has admirable qualities. First of all, you can see by his greeting that he's a godly man. And he greets his workers with a, uh, a godly greeting. Um, and his workers appear to respect him, possibly for those characteristics, most likely for those characteristics. And they, they reply accordingly with, may the Lord bless you. Um, it comes to a question, is how we are observed as supervisors if we have subordinates. Or even if you don't, how would your subordinates view you? Would they see you as a godly person? Um, do we greet each other? Uh, with godly greetings? Uh, would they say good things about you? Would they respect you uh, as, a, as a leader, as a supervisor? So things that we should be taking upon ourselves, we see admirable qualities in the Bible, and do we have those admirable qualities? And if we don't, or if we don't have as much as we should, how can we improve that? So, Verse 5, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop there. Uh, we saw in chapter 1 that when Naomi returned to her property, well, not to her property, but to her homeland, that people remembered her. It's like if somebody left the congregation here uh, and 10 years later came back. Not everybody would remember, but uh, there would be a lot of people that would, and that that would spread around quickly, you know, the joy of somebody coming back home and, and fellowshipping. Um, and so that was spread throughout the land. So this, he, he knew, he ends up finding out about her, and the people there knew about it. And again, she is following the reapers, those people that are, those people that are harvesting um, the crop, she is following them and collecting behind them. And verse 7, so uh, again, he's talking to his servant in charge. And she said, uh, the servant's talking, and she said, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Again, we see that she's working hard. Not only did she have a desire to work hard, but she is working all day to gather food. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When, they, uh, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Uh, so I'm going to stop here for a second, too. <clears throat> We read some pretty atrocious stories going through Judges about um, what happens to sojourners, not people of the land, even people of the land. Um, and Boaz, knowing this, knows of the things that goes on. Again, instructs his people, hey, watch over her, make sure nothing happens to her. And he gives her advice. Stay in this field that's safe, use it, don't go anywhere else. Uh, which is again admirable that he's watching over her and lets her lets her uh, drink from the well from the uh, jars that they have of water that they drew. So in verse ten, we pick back up. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, "Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner?" Boaz replied to her, "All that you have done for your mother-in-law." after the death of your husband, has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Uh, I think that's very, again, admirable of, of him to include God in when he talks. Uh, that's something that I know I need to work about myself is incorporating God into my daily um, conversations in my daily life more. Uh, and he gives God the glory, saying, hey, you, you're, you're going to be blessed because of your characteristics and because of God and who he is. Uh, and you see uh, in verse 10 that Naomi is humble. Also, another attribute of her characters, characteristics that are admirable. Um, 
Humility is something that is hard. Uh, it's hard to overcome our own pride and accept humility uh, because we, that's the first thing we have to do is, is get rid of our pride to become humble. So, verse 12. May the Lord reward your work. Excuse me, I already read verse 12. Verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. So it doesn't say whether she had food or not, but obviously he provided food, uh, which again is something that we should be doing for each other uh, when we see those in need physical need is to even provide for that, let alone spiritual need, which is also important, more important, but like we see in the New Testament, how are we supposed to provide for their physical needs if their their spiritual needs, if their physical needs aren't met? So you see him doing that here. Uh, and verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So not only is he giving to her, he's also going that extra step of saying she can actually be in there with the guys that are harvesting harvesting the, uh, the crop and taking the first source of it, not just the leftovers. And they're going to leave a bundle for her to go through also. So that's a lot of work that uh, uh, he is giving, he's letting his people do and giving to her. So in verse 17, we pick back up. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epeth, epa, of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she took it out and gave Naomi what she had left her, and she was satisfied. Uh, Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, The name of the man whom I worked today is Boaz. We'll stop there. Um, She actually was able to bring back home, obviously, from us reading here, a lot of a lot of uh, resources for them, a lot of food for them uh, because of that reason. Obviously, by Naomi's response, we see how uh, impressed she was by that. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And you can already see her, her wheels turning here. Very generous, and he's a relative. And she might be possibly thinking, and we see later on that obviously she's on the right track here, of um, that he might be able to redeem their property. Then Ruth the Moabite said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close 
to my maidservants, uh, to my servants, until they have finished all my harvests. And Naomi said to her, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field." Again, we see that concern about um, how wickedness and evil had uh, introduced itself and crept into God's people, and how it just wrecked it that she wasn't safe in. Um, you know, the, the land that God's promises people. In verse 23, So she stayed by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we have ten years of time that they spent together, and then we have this also season of gleaning, which is not only the uh, barley season, but also the wheat harvest. And then, obviously, we'll stop there. Um, you see this concept of Boaz being interested as a redeemer, and that's going to be coming up in chapter 3. Um, I wanted to quickly take a look at what would qualify him as a redeemer. First of all, he must be a blood relative, like what we talked about before. Uh, and, obviously, we read that Boaz was related to Naomi's deceased husband. He's going to have to have the ability to redeem. Uh, in this case the financial means to redeem the land, right? Because they have to buy it. So, And we already read that he has that ability. And we also see uh, that third law that we talked about uh, where to redeem the land, he also would have to marry Ruth. And what, again, that's going to come into play in chapter 3 when the time comes to redeem the land. He has to be willing. And obviously we see that Boaz... Uh, would is going to be willing to redeem her. And then he has to go through that process of redeeming. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about chapter 3. We have a couple more minutes. Uh, some similarities to think, think of next week when we cover chapter 3 is redeeming, redeeming is a redeemer is an interesting term used in the Old Testament. And obviously we see that in the New Testament. So as we go through chapter 3, look at correlations between Boaz the Redeemer, like the, what it takes, and Christ our Redeemer, and what it took for him to redeem us. I'm going to stop there. Um, obviously, if questions, concerns, comments come up, feel free to approach me. I'll try to uh, address it uh, either next week or the week after. Caleb's going to be teaching next week on chapter 3, and I'll be closing out with chapter 4, and uh, that'll be the end of our quarter. But um, question, comments, concerns, I, I, I'm glad to have them. Thank you.